Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Spiritual Power, from our series, A Spirit-Filled Summer. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke 24 today. Luke 24, verse 49, and then hold your finger there and flip over to Acts 1, and we'll read uh, two verses together, both from the lips of Jesus, and we'll talk today a little bit about the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We've covered a lot of ground the last few weeks talking about the work of the Spirit. And we said that a new life begins with a new birth. Amen? And so the first thing the Holy Spirit does after He convicts us and draws us to Christ and creates faith in our heart to believe the gospel, when we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts. Say regenerate. Amen. Our heart that was dead in sin comes alive and becomes responsive to God. The Holy Spirit moves in and we are sealed by the Spirit of promise when we believe, Ephesians 1 says. Amen. And so we're born of the Spirit and sealed by the Spirit when we are saved, when we're converted, when we're regenerated, when we're born again. And then a couple weeks ago we talked about another thing the Holy Spirit does, and that is not only regeneration but sanctification. Say sanctification. Sanctification. Amen. We talked about this reality of a heart that has not only been implanted with new life, but a heart that has been set free from uh, the self-interest and the fear of trusting God so that we can fully yield to Him and we can walk and live a life that honors and pleases God. The Holy Spirit comes to do that work in us of sanctifying grace. Like the Thessalonians, we need a deeper encounter with the Holy Spirit that brings victory in the area of self-control and self-interest, enabling us to live a life of love and a life of holiness. Last week we talked about moving Jesus from the guest room to the master bedroom, amen? That's the way we sort of described sanctifying grace a couple weeks ago. And we used the analogy of, if you remember, we used the analogy of a key ring. And we talked about whenever you become a Christian, it's like giving Jesus the front door key to your house. We've invited Jesus in, but he's a guest. And if I'm a guest in your home, you would expect me to stay within certain predefined spaces. There would be boundaries in place for me. And you would expect me to use the guest bathroom and stay in the living room and the dining room and maybe that. But you wouldn't expect me to find me in your master bedroom or digging around in the attic or plundering around in the basement below. You wouldn't expect me there as a guest. Amen. But sanctifying grace is this moment when we finally say, Jesus, you know what? I'm thankful to have trusted and believed in you, but I'm not giving you um, a key to the front door only. I'm giving you the whole key ring today. Lord Jesus, I'm inviting you to move up from guest to head of the house. We're moving you from the guest room to the master bedroom. Jesus, you're in charge of the house now. We invite you to come and call the shots You're free to go in the attic and pull down anything you don't like. You're free to go through the basement and discard whatever doesn't belong there. You're free to rearrange the house any way you want the house to be arranged. Amen? And we ask the question about sanctifying grace. Sanctification doesn't mean all my issues are dealt with. It doesn't mean God has gotten to everything in my life yet. It doesn't mean all the layers of the onion have been peeled back. It just means that I have given God the onion. Amen? It means I've surrendered and said... Here I am, whatever you want to do, I won't argue, I won't fight. 
You've got permission to address anything in my life and everything as we journey together between here and heaven. And I won't be in rebellion against what you reveal to me. Sanctifying grace. Amen? We talked about that. And so this week we're going to talk about one more big issue that every Christian ought to believe God for. And that is not only sanctification but spiritual power. Say power. We're talking about what we call in Pentecost the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Lots of different terms we use for this experience. In Paul's letters, Paul emphasizes the fact that Christians need a breakthrough to live in purity. Say purity. But Luke has a different emphasis. If you read the Gospel of Luke and you read the book of Acts, Luke has a little bit different emphasis. He, Paul's focused on purity and character and behavior change. Luke is focused on something very different. He said, yes, the Holy Spirit does change your character, just like Paul preached he did. But Luke alerts us in his story to something else the Holy Spirit does when he's allowed to come in and have his way in our lives. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do a good job of being witnesses of Jesus and spreading the message of Christ locally and globally. The Spirit of God makes us effective at spreading the message of Christ and bringing the kingdom of God locally and globally into manifestation where we live. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the only one who can do that. And we need His power to be able to effectively win those around us to Christ and manifest what God's kingdom really looks like within the community that we're part of. You say, well, that's kind of a lot to take in. Well, let me explain it this way as we get into our text. We're going to read in Acts chapter, in Acts, remember the day of Pentecost, from that day from which our movement is named. Pentecost, that holiday, had two great themes. One of those themes was purity. What do you mean? Well, Pentecost was the day that the Hebrew people celebrated God giving the law at Mount Sinai. You remember the scene? Moses is on top of the mountain, and the fire is on the mountain, and the smoke, and the cloud, and the lightning, and God, with his own finger, writes on tablets of stone these Ten Commandments, and basically says, if I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, this is the summary of my covenant with you. This is the basic outline of how we're going to live together in relationship. You're not going to have any other gods before me. You're not going to make an idol. You're going to keep my name holy on your lips. You're going to honor my day. That was how you will show that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. And you'll start with your closest neighbor, your family. And so you will honor your father and your mother. You will not murder. You will not kill. You will not commit adultery and break covenant because I am a covenant keeping God and you'll keep your covenants. He says you'll not steal because your God's not a thief and he gives you everything you need and so you don't have to steal. You will not bear false witness against your neighbor because your God is not a man that he could lie. He's utterly honest and absolutely reliable and you will be if you live in covenant with me as well and then you will not covet what does not belong to you. You have no need to be greedy or covetous or envious over what what someone else has. God will take care of you and meet your needs and you won't have to live that way. And so God says these are the terms and if we're going to be in relationship, that relationship will take purity. Say purity. By the time we get to the New Testament we realize there's not a problem with the commandments but there's a big problem with the commandment keepers, right? 
We don't do so well, do we? And we never will on our own power or in our own strength, but the Holy Spirit is able to enable us to live lives that honor and please God. And that is what sanctifying grace is all about. But Pentecost was about something else too. Pentecost was the celebration of the barley harvest. It was the day they would come and take the first fruits of the harvest and thresh it and take the grain and bake these loaves of bread and wave them before the Lord in the temple saying thank you for the harvest. It blessed the harvest that was to come. Well, in a very similar way, that first Pentecost after Jesus rose from the dead was about harvest. Say harvest. Amen. It was about being, so Pentecost is about holiness, the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Harvest, it's about winning people to Jesus. That was the day that the first fruits of God's church were waved before the Lord and the Lord touched them with his spirit and began the harvest that Jesus predicted would happen in the Gospel of John. He said, the fields are ripe to harvest. And at Pentecost, God empowered his laborers to go reap that harvest. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bible, look with me this morning. Luke 24, verse 49, one verse. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Then flip over, Acts 1 verse 8, again, Jesus says to them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts or to the end of the earth. May God bless the reading of his word and his people said, Amen. Amen. You will receive power. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit about? It's about power power to be God's witnesses in the world that we live in. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a distinct experience. Let me say that today. It is a distinct experience. Say it's distinct. What do you mean? I mean it is distinct from the other things that he does in the life of a believer. I, I want to address real quickly today something that I believe the Bible is, is pretty clear on and our movement is very adamant about and, and that is this. We do not believe, let, let, let me correct the argument on both sides here. We are often accused as Pentecostal Christians of saying, you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life at all unless you speak with tongues. That is not true and that is not what we teach. Let me clarify that today, okay? That's not true and that's not what we teach. There is a stripe or a brand of Pentecostals that came along later in the movement that believed and taught that, and they are still around today. And they do believe that unless you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with tongues, you're not even a Christian at all. Uh, I don't believe that, and I don't believe it because the Bible doesn't teach that. Amen. Uh, and I believe we'll show that in just a moment from God's Word. But by the same token, just as surely as the Bible, I believe, argues against that, let me tell you what else I think the same verses argue against. And that is this belief by non-Pentecostals that says, you get everything you're ever going to get the moment that you get saved. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and that's all you're ever going to receive of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, I hope that isn't true. Amen? I hope that isn't true, because I, the problem I have with, with God giving me something back then is not the problem that with God, but the problem with me. He may have filled me up back in 1988. <laughs> I leak, and if all I'm going to get is what I got then, I'm in trouble in a major kind of way, and so are most of you because you leak too. 
Yeah. I don't need need a once and I'm done. I don't need that. I need the Holy Spirit to be current and active and continuously overflowing the banks of my life. Amen? That's what I need. That's what I have to have. And I believe the Bible argues, number one, that there are subsequent experiences with the Holy Spirit beyond just being born again. And I also believe that we are to continually be in this mode or process of being filled or staying filled with the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Amen? Amen. And that is part of what makes us a little different as Pentecostal Christians. We believe that being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit, is a distinct experience. Say distinct. Where do you get that from? Well, let me me explain. Let me explain. Jesus is our model in all things. Can I tell you something? Jesus did not need to be born again. You understand that? He wasn't a sinner. He didn't have a sinful nature. He did not need the new birth. The Holy Spirit didn't have to come wake up his dead heart like he did mine. The Holy Spirit didn't have to come implant new life in him like he did me. He wasn't born dead in transgressions and sins like I was. Jesus was born fully connected to God. He was God in the flesh. He did not need the new birth. He didn't need to be saved. He didn't need to be born again. And yet what is amazing to me is what Jesus did need is Jesus needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You say, what? Jesus needed the assistance of the Holy Spirit to do what he did in the world that we live in. Jesus' ministry, the things that Jesus did, he didn't just do them because he was God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh, but when you read Luke's gospel and Luke and Acts, you get this pretty clear idea. Jesus wasn't just doing these miracles because he was God. He was doing them because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Luke 4 when Jesus begins his ministry that he, is, he comes out, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness and after he's tested, he comes out, he steps into the synagogue and he reads his mission statement from Isaiah 61 and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he lists all the things he's about to do. When you read from Luke 4 to the end of the book, you get this picture. The Holy Spirit who came on Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit who kept Jesus through temptation in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit who anoints him for Isaiah 61 style ministry. For the rest of Luke is a picture of the Holy Spirit dancing on the life of Jesus. And everywhere Jesus goes, the gospel is preached. And the sick are healed and the dead are raised and the demons come out and bondage is broken and lives are changed and sins are forgiven and the kingdom of God is shown to have arrived in power. Then you flip over to Acts chapter 2, and remember Luke wrote both books, and they're meant to be read together. And what happens at the beginning of Acts 2? Well, what happens in Acts 2 is Jesus has gone to heaven. The head is up there in heaven, but the body, the church, is still down here on earth. And so what happens? The same thing that happened to Jesus. God takes the Holy Spirit, pours the Holy Spirit out on the church, and for the next uh, 26 chapters, you watch what God does. The Holy Spirit, who danced on the life of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, now dances on the body of Christ for the continuation of that ministry. And what does the church do? 
Same thing Jesus did. Preaches the gospel, heals the sick, raises the dead, casts out demons, manifests the kingdom of God, shows people how to live a different life, and men and women believe on Christ and are swept into the kingdom. The Spirit who began this ministry in Jesus' physical body continues this ministry through His body, the church. And so you and I need the baptism in the Holy Spirit for the same reason Jesus needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, I don't need the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Well, Jesus did. Are you better than Jesus? Oh, then you ought to be in this altar this morning. Amen. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized, anointed by the Holy Spirit in power to do to continue the ministry of Jesus. If Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit, we must depend on the Holy Spirit. Well, is this really different than the new birth? I mean, is it really something after being born again, something more? Yes, it is. The Bible tells us in John 20 that the disciples were already believers. In fact, Jesus had already told them their names were written in heaven. Do you remember that? Don't marvel that the demons bow to me. Don't marvel that the miracles happen. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. That's nothing to be impressed about. He said, if you're going to rejoice, don't rejoice that the demons are subject. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus had told them, your names are written in heaven. They were Christians. They were saved. They were on the roll. They were signed up for heaven. Amen? And yet Jesus breathes on them in John 20 and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. They still needed something more than just their conversion. In Acts 2, 20 in the upper room are devout, faithful followers of Jesus. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. Amen? My Catholic friends pick on me and say, oh, y'all believe in that charismatic stuff. I say, yes, like Mary did. <laughs> Acts 1.11 says they continued in prayer with Mary, the mother of Jesus. You may like a lot of Pentecostals, but I want to tell you, Mary Pentecostal, amen? Amen. The Catholics can't have her. She's ours, amen? <laughs> Glory to God, she was the tongue talker. Did you hear me? Read it. It's in the Bible. Acts 1.11 at chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled. They all spoke with tongues. Mary was over there going, glory to God, I feel something in the... Yes! She was one of us. Amen. You didn't know that, did you? Well, now you do. So the next time your friends say something about Mary, just say, don't you want to receive what Mary received? Amen. Yes! Come go to church with me. Amen. Lord, help us. Acts chapter 2, they're believers. Acts chapter 8, the Bible says that... Uh, the Bible says that uh, this, this deacon turned evangelist named Philip goes down and preaches the gospel and people are converted. They turn from their sins. They burn their idols and books of magic and witchcraft. They're baptized in water and they're organized into a church. But there's something else they still need. And so Philip sends word and Peter and John come down and lay hands on them that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're saved and yet they need something deeper and further to continue their walk with God and their ministry and their mission. Amen. And it was something identifiable. We'll get to that in a moment. Acts chapter 9, Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. A blinding light knocked off his horse. He meets Jesus there on the, on the ground looking up. Who are you, Lord? He's converted. But the Bible says that it's two days later... When Ananias shows up and says, the Lord sent me to lay hands on you that you might be healed and that, that, that your sight might be restored and, say and, and that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And so Ananias shows up after Paul is saved and lays hands on him so that he might be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So for Paul, it was subsequent. It was something distinct. It was something after the new birth. It was for those at Samaria. It was for the believers in Acts 2 and Acts 19. I would argue. Paul asked these disciples of John who believed on Jesus as far as they can understand him, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And he explains that, baptizes them into Christ, lays his hands on them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a distinct experience from the new birth. It's something different. It's something after. It's something more. It's something for a different purpose. But it is not the same as being born again. Say it's distinct. Amen. Is it possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit the same time that you're saved? It is. That happened to a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He is converted. Here's the message of the gospel. While he's believing on Jesus and receiving this message, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So Cornelius was converted and filled with the Holy Ghost the same day. My daddy, that happened to him. My dad walked in, a heathen, a sinner who didn't know or love God. And that night he got saved and they prayed him all the way through to the baptism in the Holy Ghost. It changed his life, amen. And for years my dad thought because of that that you weren't saved until you'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? That was his experience. The problem is this, that's not most people's experience. And it's not the experience of most people even in the Bible. Can it happen? Yes, it happened to Cornelius. It may have happened to you. Some of you are in the room and say, I was filled with the Holy Ghost the night I was saved. That may have happened for you. But can I tell you, that is not generally how it happens for most people in the Christian life. For most of us, there is a time separation in these experiences. And even if they happen on the same time, they are logically distinguishable. What do you mean? They may happen to you at the same time, but they're not the same thing. Say, same time. Not the same thing. Like getting shot and stabbed at the same time. Amen? I mean, they may have happened at the same time, but they're not the same thing. Okay? Yeah. Uh, That's what we're talking. The Holy Spirit, our conversion is not the same as our being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Conversion and spirit baptism are two distinct experiences. They can be received at the same time or at different times. But they are distinguishable when we talk about them. Number two, it's not only distinct, it's identifiable. Say it's identifiable. In other words, you'll know it when it happens. You'll know it when it happens. I meet people sometimes that say, well, I think I'm spirit-filled. I'm not sure if I'm spirit-filled. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Friend, I want to tell you something. No. We know when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is an identifiable moment. It is something that is powerful and intense and real, and we know it when it happens. Jesus told the disciples to wait to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That assumes they will know when it happened, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't know how long to wait. (laughs) They knew when he arrived. They knew when they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't questionable. It wasn't iffy. They were They were very clear on the reality of that. Acts chapter 2, it was identifiable. The Bible says there's a sound of wind, rushing wind. The Bible says cloven tongues of fire divided over their heads. And verse 4 says, And they're all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives them.
gives them the utterance or the ability. It was identifiable. In Acts chapter 8, when Peter and John lay hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit, something identifiable happens. How do you know? Because Simon, the converted magician, wanted the ability to buy this thing. Give me the ability to lay my hands on folks and them receive this gift. He offered money to Peter and John to buy this. That means he saw something. That means something was happening that was identifiable in that encounter. And Simon wanted the ability to make merchandise of it. And Peter said, may you perish and your money with you. Amen. You can't buy the gift of God. Acts chapter 10, the Bible says, when Peter gets back to Jerusalem and tells them he has baptized a bunch of shrimp-loving, pork-job-eating Gentiles into the church, oh, he's in hot water. He's in trouble. You did what? You let them into the church? How could you let them into the church? He said, don't blame me. God already let them in the church. How do you know God had let them into the church? God filled them with the Holy Ghost just like he did us back at the beginning. Well, Peter, how do you know God filled them with the Holy Ghost? And Peter answers in Acts 10, 44 and says, because we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So anyone who wants to point and say, well, you guys make too much about this whole tongues issue. Well, Peter is the one that we're taking our cues from, okay? When pressed on the issue, how do you know they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Peter's answer was, it was an identifiable experience. It was verifiable. The same thing that happened to us happened to them. The same thing happened again in Acts 19 to them when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There is consistent evidence in the Bible that this is identifiable. The declaration of faith of the church of God says it this way, we believe in speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance and that it is the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. We didn't say it was the only evidence. We believe it's the first outward announcement though that this experience has happened. Let me assure you, you will have no doubt when God fills you with the Holy Spirit. You won't be asking, is that it? You'll be saying like Peter, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Pastor, what would you say to someone who believes they've received the fullness of the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? Let me walk very gingerly and tenderly here. Because I believe that is a wonderful question. And I believe that is a very sincere question that many good Christians ask. And I want to do a good job with this question. Here's the way I would answer that. I do not doubt the genuineness of any experience you have had with the Holy Spirit if it deepens your walk with God. A believer may have a deeper encounter with the Spirit without speaking in tongues. In fact, I preached about one two weeks ago called being saved. And I said not one word about speaking in tongues in that whole sermon, if I remember right. You can have deeper encounters with the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. I'm not discounting that. I absolutely believe that. If you are insistent, listen, it is never our intention to make you feel like a second-class Christian because you haven't spoken in tongues. If we are insistent about this, it is because we don't want you to miss out on any good thing that God has for you. We know God is no respecter of persons, and what he's done for us, he will do for you. And we don't want you to stop short of all that you could have. We don't want you to miss out on all that is available to you as a Christian. I would say this, however, show us the same respect. What do you mean, show us the same respect? Don't discount our experience 
or the experience of millions of Christians across every ethnic, racial, and denominational line who have experienced this gift along with the sign of speaking in other tongues. Don't discount our experience. We're not trying to discount or diminish any genuine experience you've had. Um, We're only saying if you have not been filled with the Spirit to the point where you overflowed and your heart was overwhelmed with such uncontainable love, joy, and power that you could not express it in your native language and it overflowed in a heavenly language, we're just saying you can. You can. It's available to you. And we invite you who have had deeper experiences with the Holy Spirit to go on deeper still. And pray all the way through to this wonderful gift. Why? Because we believe it's distinct and we believe it is identifiable. But most importantly, we believe it is available. Say available. And I'm landing the plane with this idea. It is an available experience. For me personally, I could never have been satisfied that I had received the New Testament experience if I had not had the same evidence as the New Testament believers. Amen. The consistent evidence in the New Testament was that they spoke in other tongues when the Holy Spirit came in fullness. I would have always questioned if I had not had the same evidence that the Bible records for them. Amen. That would have been a problem for me. I'm very thankful that the night I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, that was not an issue. Very easily and simply when the Lord filled me, that part of the, of the encounter was very easy for me to enter into. Now, I know for some people, that's rather difficult to enter into. I've watched that too. I've heard the testimonies of people who prayed, sought the Lord for years even to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I say to you, it ought not be that way. It shouldn't be that way. I love Pastor Quindley when he preached on this subject a few weeks ago when I was out on Pentecost Sunday. The only people Jesus ever told to tarry for the Holy Ghost were the original disciples, and that's because he hadn't shown up yet. Do you hear me? <laughs> The Lord didn't tell us we have to wait around on him for 15 years. Amen? You don't have to seek the Holy Ghost for years. You don't. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is an available experience. Jesus died on the cross to give you this gift. Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on the church in Acts chapter 2. That's what Peter said. Jesus ascended to heaven and poured out what you do now see and hear. Don't you want everything Jesus died to give you? Jesus commanded us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was our text this morning. Do not leave Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and that power will make you capable witnesses. It is an available experience. Paul says, Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Say, be filled. It's a command. It is an imperative. That means we're commanded to do this. I meet too many Christians today who treat being baptized in the Holy Spirit like optional equipment. Well, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And if I want to go a little deeper, I will. But if I don't, it's no biggie. No, friend, it is a biggie. (laughs) We need you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The kingdom needs you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The church needs you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your lost neighbors need you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to face all we do in the world. Well, I don't have to be Holy Spirit to go to heaven. No, but you ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. Amen? (laughs) You're not in heaven yet. 
And if you were going to leave the altar of salvation and go to heaven, then no, maybe you don't. But you don't live in heaven. You live down here where you face the world and the flesh and the devil. And you need some power. Say power. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you live in a world where God leaves you here in order for you to be a witness to Him and to win other people to Christ. And in order to be an effective witness, you need the divine enabling of the Holy Ghost. And that's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is about. It's an imperative. Jesus purchased this gift, commanded us to receive it. It's a present tense verb. In other words, it means be being filled, go on being filled. It's progressive in nature. We are to continually not only receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but stay filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you got filled with the Holy Spirit in 1948, and you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit since, I want to tell you, you're probably in worse shape than people who've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because at least they know they haven't received yet. And what you got was a vaccination shot. (laughs) You had just enough experience to keep you from walking in the fullness of what you ought to be walking in. Amen. And you need to be continually filled, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And you need to tap back into that gift if you've walked away from flowing in that. It's a plural verb. He said, all of you be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's for everyone. It's not for some little subset of Christians. Oh, well, pastors need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, Sunday school teachers or elders and deacons or missionaries like Jameson and Kelly need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, all God's people need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because all God's people have a ministry and are called to be witnesses for Jesus in the world. Amen. What amazes me is uh, that we often get this so backwards in our mind. It's present, it's plural, it's passive. That means it's something we receive, not something we work up. Oh, I don't believe in people working themselves up to a frenzy and speaking in tongues. Good, I don't either. (laughs) Amen. That's not what we're doing. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a gift that we received. And praying in other tongues is just the manifestation that that gift has actually come in fullness. But this is something the Holy Spirit does in partnership with us. This is not a frenzy. This is not something that has to be overly emotional. This is not, I don't know. Oftentimes in our churches, we get confused about what the Holy Spirit does and what people do. Amen? Whenever the Holy Spirit moves on you, you're going to respond out of your personality. And if you tend to be a loud, shouting, gregarious person like myself, when the Holy Spirit moves on you, you'll probably be loud, shouting, and gregarious. Amen? Well, pastor was getting with it on Sunday morning. Yeah. I do that at Ole Miss baseball games too. Woo! Go get them! Yeah. That's my personality. And when the Holy Spirit touches you, He moves on you out of your personality. I've seen people filled with the Holy Spirit and it'd be very quiet and very dignified and just quite hot tears rolling down their face, their hands lifted, and them just overflowing and the Holy Spirit filling them up. It doesn't have to be shouting and loud and, you know, falling out and all that. It doesn't have to be that way. Well, what's the difference? Probably your personality. I'll be honest with you, probably your personality. My wife hates for me to tell this story. She grew up in a church where they had a guy named Ralph. Lord, I hope Ralph doesn't watch this on live stream. Ralph's still alive. Ralph got to shouting one night at the Pleasant Hill Church of God and busted his head on the back of one of those wood pews. Amen. 
My wife's father's the clerk. He had to put Ralph in the car, take him to the emergency room, and they had to put six stitches in Ralph's forehead. And Buddy said, for God's sake, please don't tell them where you go to church. If they ask you, tell them you go to the assembly of God up the road. Don't tell them. Don't. Sure enough, he got in there, and the nurse was putting stitches in and said, can I ask what happened to you? And he said, I got to shouting the church and hitting my head on a pew. Where do you go to church? I go to the Pleasant Hill Church of God. You ought to come. I can assure you she never did. <laughs> Amen? She never did. Can you blame her? <laughs> was that the Holy Ghost? No, that was Ralph. <laughs> Amen. That was Ralph. That wasn't the Holy Ghost. Was Ralph feeling the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. But don't blame that on the Holy Ghost. The Lord didn't split Ralph's head open. Now, I know some people I wish he would, but Ralph isn't one of them. Amen. Amen. Listen to me. Don't you close your heart to a wonderful gift like being baptized in the Holy Spirit because of something that you've seen in a service or on TV that has made you anxious or afraid. Don't do it. Don't confuse Ralph and the Holy Spirit. Just because you've seen something that may have made you nervous or uncomfortable, that was probably that person responding out of their own personality. Don't blame that on the Lord. Listen, don't let the enemy use something like that to scare you off from being filled with the Holy Spirit. I've seen people sitting flat-footed in a folding chair with their hands lifted up, and people lay hands on them and then be baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin to pray in other tongues. Amen. It doesn't have to be wild or loud or crazy. Amen. Now, I'm old school Pentecostal, so it doesn't bother me if it is. Amen. Amen. Don't run. If you run, I might run too. Amen. Don't, don't look up. I'll be behind you. I love that. That's, that's my tribe. But don't let those things make you afraid. We've got to learn how to chew up the meat and spit out the bones sometimes. Amen. And don't allow negative experiences you've witnessed or even been a part of to turn you off to the reality of this gift. What's interesting today, and I'm landing the plane, people have a love-hate relationship with us about the Holy Spirit, don't they? They love the fact that our movement, you can feel the Holy Spirit's presence when you come in the room. I talked to the waterfront guys last week. They said we love coming here because we don't fall asleep. I said, good, I'm glad. <laughs> Amen. It said you can feel the presence of God. People love that about Pentecostal churches. They love the energy in our music, the life in our worship. They love being able to sense God's spirit. They love the fact that we still believe in miracles and we pray for the sick and we believe God to do the impossible and often see him do it. They love that about us. And yet whenever we tell them, well, the reason these things happen is because we've received some encounter with the Holy Ghost beyond our conversion. Would you like to receive that experience too? Well, then they kind of put up a wall and say, I don't know about that. They hate that we insist on our need for a deeper work of the Holy Spirit. Our emphasis on everybody praying, not just the preacher. The unpredictability of our services. The fear that the preacher may call on them personally for prayer. Or the Spirit may give them a word. Or that someone may speak in tongues. Or other manifestations may happen in the service. They don't like all that. In short, here's my problem. They like the light, but they don't want the fire. Friend, you can't have it both ways. Amen. All the benefits of the Spirit-filled life 
flow in our life in earnest once we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Pastor, you really believe that? Yes. They love the heat, they enjoy the light, but they don't want the fire. They ask what makes us different, and when we tell them it's a deeper encounter with the Holy Ghost, they get offended, they claim we're judging them, and they often leave. I don't want to quibble with you about the finer points of theology this morning, but before you leave and go enjoy the afternoon with your family, I want to ask you a couple questions about your own experience. Are you satisfied with your experience in God? Are you walking in spiritual victory? Are you enjoying spiritual power? Is there an anointing on your life? Do you enjoy a deep intimacy with God? Where his presence is there and you enjoy that and you live in that reality? Are you led by the Spirit? His promptings, his nudgings, his guidings? Are you able to hear his voice when he speaks? Does your testimony penetrate the hearts of unbelievers? Is there something about your witness that is powerful and gets people's attention and holds them and captivates them and allows the message of Jesus to get to their heart? Is there something about your witness that is captivating, anointed by the Spirit that people can't seem to turn away from even if they don't like or agree with it? The Holy Spirit can give you that. Is your prayer life powerful and effective? Or do you feel like you're the only one that shows up for your quiet time? There is a place of intimacy and depth in the Holy Spirit that God wants to bring you to if you're open to receiving that. Do you want the kind of deep, authentic experience with God you've seen in other Spirit-filled believers? Do you believe that God's a respecter of persons and that He would give it to them but not give this gift to you? Are you willing to believe that He wants the same thing for you? Years ago, Dwight L. Moody was supposed to have a campaign in England and an older pastor protested and said, Why do we need this Mr. Moody He's uneducated, inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Ghost? And a younger pastor spoke up and said, no, but the Holy Ghost has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. You see, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, just as I said about being sanctified a couple Sundays ago, it's not so much about you getting more of God as it is giving God more of you. The question is not, are you satisfied, I guess, but is Jesus satisfied? Jesus will not be satisfied in my life until I have surrendered every area and until I have allowed him to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that that power and ministry can flow through me to the world around me. Jesus didn't save me just so I could go to heaven. Jesus saved me so he could use me in this world as his witness. And I'll never be effective at that until I pray on through further beyond my salvation and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost. And flow through me in power so that the world around me is touched by your ministry and your message. Has that happened for you? How do I receive? Well, decide your desire. You've got to want this. Jesus said, if anybody's thirsty, let them come. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You can't do this because you ought to. You have to do this because you want to. The key to being baptized in the Holy Spirit is desire, hunger, thirst, Well, I'm not coming around that altar. I'm afraid it'll get on me. Well, it's not an it, it's a he. And I promise you, you won't leave with any more of the Holy Spirit than you want ever. The key is desire. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you desire to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing on him would receive afterwards. Number two, believe the book. 
Say believe. You decide your desire, believe the book. You've got to decide, I know this is God's will for me. Some people wrestle, I just don't know if God really wants me to do this or not. Yes, he does. Acts 2, after they'd all been filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter steps up and preaches and points at the whole crowd and says, you know what? The promise is for you and to all who are afar off and to as many as the Lord our God will call. It's for you and your children. This promise is for everybody. What promise? Well, at the end of verse 38, he said, repent and be baptized the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a gift, and the promise is available to you. Are you willing to believe and trust God for this experience? Number three, pursue in prayer. Luke eleven thirteen 13 said, How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Say ask. Have you asked? Here's the story I get a lot. Well, you know, Pastor, one time... I got alone with God and I told God that if he really wanted me to speak in tongues, I was open to that experience. And nothing happened, so I decided it must not be for me and I haven't asked since then. My friend, that is not seeking. That is not asking. That is not praying. You pray for the highway patrolman to not turn his lights on harder than you prayed for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Come on, be honest. That's not seeking. When you seek, you really pursue in prayer. You go after it. You tell God you're serious. You lay it out before the Lord. You earnestly make this a matter of prayer and fasting. You say, God, I desire this. I believe it's your promise. And I'm praying for you to fill me with your spirit. Acts 1 says they were continuing steadfastly in prayer when the Holy Spirit came. Acts 1 and 14. Finally, what do you do? Well, you, you, you have to go back to this issue. Do you really want this? Some people say, well, I ask, do you really want this gift? If, if there's a key, it's, are you thirsty? Do you really believe this? As long as there's any doubt in your mind about whether the baptism in the Holy Spirit is God's will for you, you will not likely ever receive it because you will really not earnestly seek it. Are you pursuing it in prayer? Finally, you succeed by surrender. How do you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It's a gift. It's not something you have to do. It's a gift you have to receive. And so... You pursue in prayer. You believe God's promise. You desire this. And you come before the Lord. And you begin to press into his presence. And when he moves on your heart, you throw open the doors of your heart. And you receive the gift. Like you receive the wind blowing through your hair. Like you receive the sunshine on your face. You receive the gift. You open up your heart. You surrender. The problem, the reason many of us can't receive the gift is our hands are too full of other things. That's why I preached about sanctification before I preached about spirit baptism. You see, we have, the Bible says this, we have to let go of other things. Repent of any known sin. Lay down your idols. Let go of any ungodly habit or attitude you've clung to. Make a full surrender of your heart to God. Give yourself away completely to Jesus. The church of God says we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit after a clean heart, subsequent to a clean heart. What do you mean? We used to call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon a sanctified life. Let Jesus cleanse your heart, and he can fill you with his spirit. But he's not going to fill a dirty cup with his greatest gift. Did you hear me? Let him cleanse your life, and he will fill you with his spirit. Stand with me all over God's house. Acts 5 and 32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Ghost, whom God has given to them that obey him. God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. If you'll press in and believe his promise. But you can't receive this gift if your hands are filled with other things. 
Pastor, wait a minute. I just believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is happening. You get saved. No, it isn't. How do you know? The Bible says when you were saved, you were, that the Spirit baptized you into Christ. We're not talking about that. You see, whenever you're saved, you are the candidate. Say, I'm the candidate. Jesus is the agent. Say, Jesus is the agent. He's the one doing the baptizing. And, the whole, and listen, whenever you're saved, you are the candidate. Say, I'm the candidate. All right? The Holy Spirit is the agent. Say, the Holy Spirit is the agent. And Jesus is the element. Say, Jesus is the element. Jesus baptizes you. The Holy Spirit baptizes you into Christ. That's conversion. That's Romans 6, verse 3. You were baptized by one Spirit into Christ. You were baptized into Christ by the Spirit. That's salvation. I want you to notice it's not the same in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You're the candidate. Say, I'm the candidate. But the Bible says Jesus is the agent and the Holy Spirit is the element. Say that. The Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. That's different. That's not the same thing. If you're a Christian, the Spirit has baptized you into Christ. I'm asking you, have you let Jesus baptize you in the Spirit? Has there been this moment where the door opened in your life to the supernatural power of God? We believe that normally begins by a person speaking in other tongues. It's usually followed by an increased intimacy with God and the ability to operate in these gifts and other gifts beginning to manifest. And, and, and there's just a deepening and a heightening of your spiritual sensitivity, your boldness, your intimacy with God, your connection to God. Everything good that you enjoy now about the Christian life goes to another level when you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It, 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 it moves you up. It's sort of like driving around in low gear and finally figuring out where drive is, right? <laughs> Amen. It's finding the overdrive button on the transmission. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? Have you been filled with the Holy Ghost? Are you? Do you want to be? Listen today. If you do, what do you want me to do, Pastor? I want you to decide your desire this morning. Make up your mind. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, I want you to believe the book. Believe in your heart. I believe the Bible teaches this, and I believe this promise is for me. Say that. I believe it's for me. It's for me. Number three, I want you to start pursuing it in prayer. What do you mean? Every day for the next week, I want you to spend time alone with God, and I want you to pray. And I don't want you praying about all the things on your list. Listen to me. I want you to carve out some time to get alone with God, and I want you to pray about this one thing. Lord, I want to be filled. I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Did you hear me? Fast, pray, make it a matter of seeking. Press in. Lord, I'm serious about this. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Begin to prepare your heart for God to baptize you in His Spirit. And then what? When you feel the Holy Spirit beginning to move on you in prayer, surrender, yield. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit right alone in your prayer time. My grandmother was, standing in her bedroom. Didn't even know what had happened. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She had to leave her bedroom and go find a Pentecostal church for somebody to tell her what happened to her. Amen? I want you to seek for Him to fill you. And then what, Pastor? I want you to come back next Sunday. 
And we're going to talk more about what is this gift, how do I receive, and how can we help you pray to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I believe God wants to give us a Spirit-filled summer. Amen? I believe it begins by you seeking personally. Well, Pastor, can I come this morning? Well, if you want to come, I'll pray for you this morning. But I'm going to tell you my experience is this. You've got to be persuaded in your own mind. You've got to make up your mind. You desire this gift. And you've got to begin to seek and prepare your heart. And if you do that, I want to tell you, you'll walk in here. If you make it to next Sunday, you'll walk in here very soon. And the Lord will meet you. It may be in worship. It may be during a song. It may be during a prayer time. But the Holy Spirit will fill you with himself. Are you desirous? Are you thirsty? Every head bowed for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you today for the chance just to preach the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray today that I know there are many in this room who this is old hat for them. But Lord, I know there are many in this room who are very curious about the subject, have a lot of questions about the subject. Lord, I'm not trying to give a hard sell, and I'm not trying to push them into something that they're not ready for. But Lord, I pray for one thing today. I pray that you would stir up their hunger. I pray that you would awaken their thirst. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir in their heart a deep, burning desire for more of you to pray all the way through to being filled with the Holy Spirit to the point where they step into a dimension they've never known before with you where the gifts begin to operate and the spirit begins to move in their life like nothing they've ever had before father i pray today they'd read your word and they'd go back and study this this passage and study the book of acts and begin to understand and realize this is a gift it's available to them and it's for them and that lord you would draw them in and you would satisfy their heart by filling them up with yourself so that you can use them in the world around us and we'll thank you for it Every head bowed for just a moment. If you're here and you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to invite you down. I want to be able to pray with you this week. If you want to say, Pastor, this week I'm going to begin to seek God about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to agree with me in prayer this week as I prepare my heart. Pastor, will you pray for me? Are you here? Just saying, that's me. I need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Thank you. All over the room. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, let's believe God for this. You know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Amen? Listen. Set your heart this week on seeking. Lord, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't walk out of here and say, Pastor said I didn't have the Holy Spirit. You've had the Holy Spirit living in you since you got saved. I'm asking you, do you want to go deeper? Do you want a fuller encounter? It's the difference between having a cup of water and jumping in a swimming pool, friend. I'm not asking you, do you have the water? I'm asking, does the water have you? Do you want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost? I want to pray with you this week that God will meet you at that place. Amen? Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you entered in this experience long ago, but you feel like today you're dry and dusty and empty, and it's been a long time since you really were spirit-filled. Even though you remember your initial baptism in the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, I just need the Holy Spirit to refresh me in a way. I need God to meet me in a fresh way. Are you here? Would you just be honest enough to say, I'm dry, I'm thirsty, and I need the Lord to fill me afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit. Anybody? Just being honest. Thank you. Yeah. Just being honest. Just saying, Lord, I, I, I need to be refreshed in my experience. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray that this morning's message 
would stir up our hunger, whet our appetite, and make us desirous to press in like we haven't in a long time. I pray for those in this room who are saved and the Holy Spirit lives in them and they're thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit they've known, but they want to go deeper and press further. I pray God this next week would be a week of seeking and drawing close to you. And I pray that it would be a time of sweetness and intimacy and cultivating their relationship with God, pressing in worship, studying God's word, spending unhurried seasons of time in prayer alone with God, asking you to meet them and fill them up. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who just need to be refilled, that God, you'd meet them this week as well. And that, Lord, as we gather next Lord's Day and begin to press in more deeply about this subject, that, God, you would help us to be able to lay hold of your promise for us. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand of praise? Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Forest Hill COG, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.